Psalm 19, to the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit from the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commands of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Glorify yourself among us. Be glorified in our presence. Let us have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us this morning. Speak to us. Use the limitations of language, of speech, and reveal yourself to the hearts of the hearer. Thank you that you've drawn us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you that our eternity is secure in Jesus. Thank you for preserving these words. May they reveal the person and work of Jesus to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Is God trying to get my attention? Have you ever felt like God is trying to get your attention? Have you ever been through moments in life where maybe it's negative circumstances all seem to be stacking up and maybe you feel like God is trying to get your attention through the negative things that are happening to you? Or maybe you're seeing the glory of God, the goodness of God. People are doing acts of kindness. People are saying things that seem to be aligning. And you wonder, is God trying to get my attention? How do you know when God is talking to you? 
Can you discern the voice of God? How do you know the difference between the voice of God and whether or not you had too much spicy salsa the night before? What is it? Are there characteristics that we can see? Is there a pathway to understanding the voice of God, knowing confidently that we can hear from God? Here in Psalm 19, David uses the grandest scope and the most beautiful language he can to express worship to God as he reflects on the wisdom and creativity of God everywhere. I think of David, the shepherd boy, and how many nights he spent out in the wild noticing the glory of God in the seasons and the patterns of life. As he watched the rhythms of the stars go over, as he watched the seasons, as he saw the animal kingdom, as he interacted with his world, even with his sheep, he noticed the glory of God. He couldn't help but wonder, is God trying to get my attention? And over time, David wrote psalms in those moments. He recorded his worship. God revealed himself to David. But not only is Psalm 19 a reflection of worship in the grandest scope, it also happens to reveal to us the particular ways in which God speaks to his children. C.S. Lewis once said that Psalm 19 was the greatest poem in the Psalter. I want you to think about that. Think about all the wonderful psalms. Think about your favorite psalms, the one that you go to when you need a pick-me-up. When you're going through a tough time, maybe it's Psalm 23. Maybe you need a moment of repentance and you go to Psalm 51. Or maybe you need to be grounded in your faith and you go to Psalm 1. Or maybe you need uh, to be reminded of God's protection and you go to Psalm 91. But Psalm 19, the greatest of all psalms, the greatest lyric in the world, C.S. Lewis says, that's high praise from a man who held academic positions in English literature at both Cambridge and Oxford in the 20th century. But the writers of Hebrew scripture, David in particular, C.S. Lewis can't light a candle to David. A literary genius who not only conveys the timeless truth of God's word, but writes it in such a way that the shape of the psalm communicates the message of the psalm. When you look at the three-part shape of Psalm 19, you see a message coming loud and clear of how God reveals himself to creation. John Calvin, one of the most brilliant minds in American history, happened to be a pastor and a pretty good theologian. Listen to how he begins his epic tome called The Institutes of Christian Religion. He said, our wisdom... And so as, so far as ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. David makes this very move as he considers who God is. He remembers who he is as he considers, consider who's who he belongs to. It reminds him of what he's a part of. So the three-part shape, the three movements I want you to see today are very simple. 
David acknowledges the glory of God. David com- uh, contemplates God's word. And he invites God's presence. He acknowledges God's glory. He contemplates God's word. And then he invites God's presence. David acknowledges God's glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Just a few weeks ago, my family and I were down in Ventura. And we were shopping or something, and we noticed a, one of those airplanes with a big banner behind it. Have you guys seen those before? I'm sure you've seen them. I'm sure they're fairly common in this area. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I'm from, we don't get a whole lot of airplanes with big banners flying over the Arkansas River. But we were, we were shopping, and we looked up, and we saw this airplane. We saw this big banner flying by, and I, I couldn't make out what it said. A little bit later, we were in Santa Barbara, and we were hiking with some friends. We were up in the mountains, and, and I saw the same airplane with the same banner. Presumably, it was the same one. looked like the same plane. And I couldn't make out what it was. I couldn't tell what the sign was. In fact, my son got out a pair of binoculars and tried to see what, it, what are they trying to say. We couldn't see it. In spite, uh, despite their best efforts to communicate this massive message, we couldn't see it. Maybe someone on the beach could have seen that message. I'm sure hundreds of people did, but not us. If they were trying to communicate their message to us, we couldn't get it. We didn't see it. Such is not the case, David says, with the message of creation. Creation is not God. You cannot simply find God by looking to creation. But creation itself reflects the glory of God. God's message is, another way to say it, the size of creation. The size of the cosmos, the size of the universe is is the size of God's message. David, who spent many seasons in those open fields watching his father's sheep, looks up into the skies, lit up with stars at night, and he gets the message. God was trying to get his attention, and David gave his attention to God. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Dutch theologian and former prime minister of the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper, famously said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. In Psalm 19, David suggests that whether or not a preacher has preached, the first revelation of God is trying to get the attention of humanity. It's on offer all day, every day, anytime, anywhere. For those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, God is trying to get your attention. And the message is as big as creation itself. You don't need binoculars to see it. You can't miss it if you will simply slow down and give your attention to God. This revelation that David is 
pouring out in the pages of Scripture is actually called general revelation. I've been a pastor, I'm a third generation pastor actually, and I've been a pastor myself uh, for 25 years. And often when I'm talking to people about sharing their faith, um, many people ask the question, what about people who have not heard? Now, it is our partnership with God. We are partnering with God, as we just heard earlier today, to go into all the world and to make plain the message of the gospel. But what about people who die and have never heard the gospel? Is God fair? Is it fair? The Apostle Paul picks up on this idea, and he actually riffs on Psalm 19 a couple of different times in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 10, verse 18, he says this, But I ask, have they not heard? Of course they did, he said. And then he quotes Psalm 19. It says, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. And then back in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he says, what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what has been made. As a result, people are without excuse. Is God just? You better believe he is just. Is God trying to get people's attention? You better believe he is. And the first thing he did is give the gift of general revelation. He's knocking. He's calling to humanity to turn their hearts to him. Look at the imagery, the relational imagery of verses 5 and 6. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. The sun is. It rises on one end of the heavens. It makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Is God trying to get your attention? You better believe he is. The message is as big as creation and as consistent as the rising and setting of the sun. So the first step in hearing God's voice, you need to hear God's voice. The first step in understanding whether or not God is trying to get your attention is very simple. Give him your attention. When you're out in the workplace, when you're on a walk, when you're walking your dog, when you, when you face the common vicissitudes of life, the challenges of life, when you, when you bump up against reality and it hurts, is God trying to get your attention? Yes. When you're out in creation, when you're out in the world, is God trying to get your attention? Yes. And the first move that David commends to us is this. Acknowledge the glory of God. Those who come to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When you do that, here's what happens. It reminds you that when you're out in the world, when you're living life, you recognize that your afflictions are light and momentary. As 2 Corinthians says, your light and momentary affliction works in you a far exceeding weight of glory. While you look not at the things that are seen, but as you look beyond the seen to the unseen. 
For the things that are seen are temporal, but the unseen is eternal. So the first thing we do is acknowledge God's glory, David says. But the second thing you need to do is perhaps even more important, and that is to contemplate God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are radiant. The fear of the Lord is pure. The decrees of the Lord are firm. I want you to think about the Hebrew people and how much they gave themselves to this word, to these scriptures, to Torah. Torah would be the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And when you think about the technology of the day, when you think about how they would have interacted, most of their, their interaction with Scripture was hearing it, gathering like we are today under the teaching of Scripture, the public reading of Scripture. They believed that shaped them in a particular way. They believed that that transformed them in a specific way. But when you think about the scroll technology that they would have had, the Torah was the first shape of the Hebrew Bible, the second shape was called the Nevi'im, and the third shape was called the Ketavim. The first book of the, first book of the second book of the Bible, uh, of the Hebrew Bible, was the book of Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night. And the first book of the third part of the Bible was the book of Psalms. Each of these inflection points, the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fears, the decrees, these are echoing the first five books of the Bible. That lose you? I'm Bible nerding out on you just for a minute. Let me just tell you, this was so important to them that they kept saying, hey, don't forget, look back, the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture instructs you for life. It tells you who you are and who God is. You can't just look at creation. God has revealed himself through scripture. The revelation through creation is called general revelation, but the revelation of scripture is called what? Anybody know? Special revelation. God in his goodness has taken this massive message and he's put it in a small container called words. The Word of God has, is uh, intended to uh, lead you to God Himself, to the person of God. We move from creation's reflecting the glory of God to Scripture's revelation of God's ways. Eugene Peterson said, most reality is invisible, inaudible. There's plenty to be seen and heard and touched and tasted and smelled. A rainbow of colors and flowers and sunsets, a symphony of tunes and melodies, rhythms and accents, textures smooth and rough, flavors sweet and sour, fragrance and stench. But the life in the kingdom is an immersion in a much larger, more comprehensive reality. Most of what I see and hear and smell and taste and touch I soon discover is an opening, a window, a door to something invisible, something beautiful, truth, goodness, and most of all, God. God has accommodated himself through scripture, not to reduce the message, but to expand it. 
This Bible that you hold in your hands is not smaller than creation. It's bigger than creation. This word of God that you memorize, that you put to memory, that you put, that you hide in your heart is not smaller than the voice of the world. It's much, much bigger. It's, it goes back to all eternity past and eternity future. God has revealed himself through the person and the work of Jesus, who is, by the way, what? The word of God. So God in his goodness has taken this massive message, this gospel message, and he's put it in the container of words. He's made himself accessible to you so that you can hear his voice. You know, what the voice of the Spirit sounds like? It sounds like Scripture. Do you know what the voice of God sounds like? It sounds like Scripture. If you want to know the voice of God, get to know His ways through the pages of Scripture. It can start with as simple as memorizing one verse, contemplating that verse, writing about that verse, allowing that verse to fill your imagination for what it means to follow God. But go from one verse to the next, and the next, and the next. Do you know what you give your attention to determines who you are? What you give your attention to shapes the person that you become. The otherwise unknowable, incomprehensible, awesome God has made himself known through the pages of Scripture. Romans chapter 10, very famously, verses 14 through 18. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't first possess. So you need to know that good news. You need to remind yourself of that good news. Verse 16 says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For as Isaiah says, the Lord has, Lord who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Is God trying to get your attention? You better believe he is. I want you to think about, again, this Bible that you have in front of you. The, the technology of the codex, the, the, the fully formed Bible, came through people who loved their Bible. The scroll technology came from people who loved the Bible. Much and many of the advancements in literacy down through the ages have come for people wanting to share the good news. But I want you to think about the miracle of this Bible that you have in front of you. 66 authors writing an entire library of Scripture over 1,500 years, canonized, and then put into mass production, translated over and over and over again. We have Bible translators in our midst right now. People who have given their lives to understand the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and to present that in such a way that we can understand. God is trying to get your attention. There are, there have, there's never been a time in history where there have been more Bible translations, 
more easily accessible translations, more Bible apps, more commentaries, more easy to read Bible studies than in any time in history is God trying to get your attention. Yes, he is. He wants to speak to you right where you are. Are you giving him your attention? Are you giving attention to scripture? Can I tell you, you've got time. You have time. You have all the time you need to tune your heart to God's Word. I don't care who you are. You have time to get to know Scripture. Scripture literally reshapes our brains. When I was a kid, I used to think, like many of you, that how many of you heard the term, this idea, their brain wasn't fully formed yet? We, in fact, I blamed a lot of the mistakes in my childhood on that. I, my, My brain wasn't fully formed yet until I was 25 years old. That's what the scientists said. But guess what? That was not true. There's this idea called neuroplasticity. What does that mean? That means your brain changes shape all day, every day. You can rewire your brain. In fact, you can't help but rewire your brain. The stories you believe, the habits you form, the people you're around, and the place you live all shape the way that you think. They shape the way that you think about God, and they shape the way you think about other people and about yourself. So that's why it's so important to get caught up, to get enraptured into the story of Scripture. When you begin to follow Jesus, you're not asking God to be a part of your story. That's not how this thing works. I don't know if you know this. Maybe you're thinking about giving your life to Jesus. Can I just tell you? You should. But it's not about asking God to to be a part of your story. It's not about life enhancement. It's not about adding a little Jesus to make things go better. Following Jesus is uploading your story into the grand story of redemptive history. It's as big as creation, and it's all through the pages of Scripture. If you want want to find purpose, look in the pages of Scripture. If you feel stuck, you feel like you can't understand what's going on in your life, Look in the pages of Scripture. The other thing I'll say about it, that is this. It's such a big deal to come to your local church, to commit to a local church, to to commit to a community that sits under the teaching of Scripture. I believe if, if you will ask God, He will lead your pastors. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting in church and, I, and, and my pastor will say something to me, especially in my formative years. I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm trying to get to know him and I'm asking all these questions. And my pastor will say, oh, let me tell you something. He'll come over here to this little tangent. And it's exactly what I needed to hear. The, the, the move that you make when you wake up in the morning and you look at your spouse and they, you say, are we going to church this morning? The answer is always yes. When you get up and you brush your teeth and you put your clothes on, you, you move your body across time and space, it's an act of surrender and you're submitting yourself to something higher than you. You're uploading your story to something bigger than yourself, which is the thing for which we were created. David acknowledged God's glory. David contemplated God's word. And finally, David invited God's presence. Verse 12 says, but who can discern 
their own errors. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willing sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock, my redeemer. You see, when you begin to turn your attention to God in your day-to-day life, and you begin to meditate on Scripture, you begin to allow Scripture to shape your imagination, guess what happens? God shows up. You go from seeing God revealed in creation to seeing God revealed in Scripture to experiencing the presence of God in your person. Anytime we get into the presence of God, there are a couple of things that happen, especially when you see people who are brought into the throne room of God in Scripture. You see something happen. One of the things that happens for me is that I become aware of my inadequacies. I become keenly aware of my limitations. I become aware of my weaknesses, my disqualifications, so I think my failures. You know that's okay. You know that's natural. We see that happen to the very best people throughout the pages of Scripture. Isaiah. Who could have been better than Isaiah in the time of Isaiah? And yet when he stands before God, he says, Woe is me, I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, what you do with that feeling is what matters. It's critical if you're going to be led by the voice of God. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Why is that, you think? What you think about God determines the kind of person you're becoming. What you think about God reveals what you believe God thinks about you. When you consider that God might be trying to get at your attention, what's your first reaction? Do you run to Him? Do you slow down and surrender your attention to Him? Do you call to mind what Scripture says and who Scripture says you are? Do you invite His presence? Pages 1, 2, and 3 of Scripture, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, paints this beautiful picture that David is actually working through. The heavens declare the glory of God. We see that in Genesis 1. God reveals himself through his voice. We actually see that that God showed up, the voice of God showed up to Adam in the garden. But when Adam and Eve sinned, what was their posture toward God? God's presence showed up. God is trying to get their attention. And what do they do? They hide. They cower. They're timid. They separate from one another, and they separate themselves from God. They took 
good and bad into their own hands by eating from the knowledge of good and bad. And then they took good and bad, they took their own forgiveness into their own hands by trying to cover their own sin with the fig leaves. And then they tried to cover their sin even more by turning from God and hiding in the trees. Why? Was God angry at them? Did God come with thunder and lightning? Did God come shouting at them, shaking his finger at them, saying, shame on you. Look at everything I gave you. I told you you could eat from any of the trees. Have I not been good to you? Have I not given you abundance? Did he say any of that? What was God's posture toward them? He was pursuing them. He asked them, where are you? What did God want for them in that moment? God wanted them to give him their sin. God wanted them to invite his presence, to do what only he could do with their sin, to forgive their sin, to cleanse them. Adam and Eve walked out of that garden clothed by God. You know, it's not until after that that Adam looks at Eve and he calls her Eve, the mother of all living. He names her after that moment. God so redeemed him, so reshaped his story that he began to speak differently, to think differently. He stopped hiding and he wanted to get in God's presence. Every year, for the last 10 years, a group of friends and I go to summit a 14,000-foot mountain in Colorado. When we do, we tell these men, this is going to be the hardest thing probably that you've ever done. But the mountain is just the excuse. You're going to hear from God. And we meet once a month for seven months leading up to the trip. And we ask, what are you going to ask God when you get to the mountain? And what are you going to leave behind? About seven years ago, this buddy of mine, David Rolandini, came to be on the team, our, our, one of our summit teams. He, he's sitting around the table and he's hearing these guys talk about how excited they are to hear from God. How God has spoken to them before and how they can't wait to get in his presence again. And David pulls his hat down and he says, I don't think I can hear from God. My heart is too hard. David had been a college baseball player. He played baseball in the Olympics for the United States. He pitched in the major leagues. He was a rancher, a fireman. He had a beautiful wife, four beautiful little girls. But he felt utterly alone, utterly stuck. I can't hear from God. Month after month, we'd meet, and month after month, he'd say the same thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's good for you guys. I'm going. I just don't have a whole lot of hope that I can hear from God. Sure enough, we got to the mountain, and in the mountain, uh, before summit day, we have acclamation day, an entire day with you and God 
out in creation. These beautiful, pristine lakes, which very few people have seen. And these guys bring their fishing poles. And my buddy Rolo is a, is a fisherman. He's standing at that lake, the top lake by himself. And he says, he comes back to the campfire later and he says, guys, I was slaying it. I caught, please don't tell the warden, I caught 35 fish that day. And we're like, what else happened? Rolo looked different. He looked lighter. He had a smile on his face. He had a little giddy up in his step. Here's what he said. He said, I was fishing. And I was just so grateful. I don't know, but I just like recognized that God was helping me catch all these fish. And then it started to rain. I was like, oh yeah, well, here we go. But I was still so grateful. And I made my way and I, I saw this little cave. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take my stuff and I'm going to go have lunch. So he goes and he sits in the cave. Rollo doesn't know the Bible. But he sits in the cave and he's just sitting there and he's just thinking, man, God, are you trying to speak to me? Are you trying to get my attention? He starts to eat his lunch and he flips open his Bible to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Tears begin to roll down this big old tough guy's face. And he says, I heard very clearly from God. Would you just sit up and look back at my creation? Roller is an avid outdoorsman. He was wanting to see some wildlife. He sits up and just outside the cave is a massive muley, a massive mule deer with a massive rack. David falls to his knees and repents and asks God to shape his heart into his image. And he begins to say, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Is God trying to get your attention this morning? You've come here, and I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your week has been like. But right here, right now, I'm going to invite you to take the path of David. Acknowledge the glory of God. Contemplate the word of God. And welcome, welcome the presence of God. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, I'll come in and I'll break bread with him. God wants to show you who you are, whose you are. He wants to give you creative ideas and innovative thoughts. He wants to help you know what to do in that relationship that seems stuck. I'm going to invite you as we worship together to take that path. We'll have communion down front as always. If you came in here with a heavy burden, do not leave with that heavy burden without having someone pray for you. Our prayer teams will be available for you as well. Of course, you can come down to the carpets as normal. Let's worship Jesus. Let's speak to the God 
who's trying to get your attention. Will you pray with me? Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the, of the knowledge of God. How inscrutable his judgments and traceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.